0: This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you, whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives. You'll find it all here. This is another episode of the Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche coming up in today's show. Make the circle bigger, the inclusion of oil nations in the BRICS block could hold some benefits for South Africa, but at what cost? More heat waves, more rain, more disaster. Climate change is more evident than ever before.
1: So it it will create a food security
0: concern. And also, I, I don't think our government is adequately prepared for what's to come. He stands accused of stealing millions of rands from the disabled. Now the Concord has said no more. And we pay tribute to the gentle giant, Mr. Carte Blanche himself, Derek Watts. Let's get into it.
2: Welcome to another week of the whole week wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. I'm Erin Bates, a legal writer and freelance broadcaster. I recently joined the Carte Blanche family back in May. And this week, to my relief, because he's done this many times, we're hosting Ray Machlaka, familiar voice to you whole week wrap listeners, business Mavericks financial journalist. Ray So nice to have you to lead me through this. We were both at the 15th BRICS summit in Johannesburg and stuck like battery chickens under those halogen lights in the journalist's hall. Six countries now set to join in 2024, two from the African continent, Egypt and Ethiopia, also Argentina, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates and Iran. Tell me your thoughts. Now we have oil giants that will be part of BRICS,
1: Saudi Arabia, as well as uh, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, it's It's yet to be proven or, or seen what the benefits will be for South Africa and other BRICS uh, members for those six countries joining and um, the BRICS uh, block. but I think the world is is a bit concerned on several scores. We know very well that Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Iran are major human rights violators. So South Africa will see itself in the company of those countries that have also faced sanctions as well from the West. It might cause tensions with the West. Lots on the go here. And we still get to see what benefit uh, an expanded BRICS will have for South Africa.
2: I mean, one thing that does strike me is that the likes of, you know, Russia's Vladimir Putin, for example, India's Narendra Modi, Chinese President Xi Jinping, all don't have great track records on human rights issues in any case. None of that came up except for the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which Luis de Silva, the Brazilian president, raised quite sharply. He was the only leader amongst the existing BRICS group of five, as it stands now, to call for an immediate Ceasefire. And from what I understand from speaking to sources, there were some discussions about what he'd raised in those opening remarks behind closed doors. But we're not in with a great bunch to begin with on that score. I guess the thing about the oil block is that it brings cash flow and could provide Russia with avenue in terms of trade routes with the North-South Corridor to the East and Africa.
1: Indeed. I mean, it gives now the BRICS block more clout to have oil giants that are included in the BRICS formation. So BRICS could now be a challenger to the West and other alliances, such as the G7. But the fact that the Ukraine war, that was was a huge elephant in the room and that wasn't really properly addressed and canvassed during the summit. Not only the Ukraine war uh, caused a humanitarian crisis, But it sparked an economic crisis. I mean, that's the reason why we're having a problem with inflation at the moment. You know, that's the reason why there are some commodities, especially on food such as grain, that are there and persisting because of this war in Ukraine. So that was quite a missed opportunity, I
2: believe, Erin. I mean, certainly uh, Putin used the opportunity to repeat his quote unquote justification for the war, you know, what he called a coup in the Donbass region and slate sanctions against Russia, saying that they were illegitimate effectively. I'm paraphrasing. It was La Silva who spoke of the immediate ceasefire, but there was a yep. lot of rhetoric around peacekeeping and finding consensus and ensuring that we have a prosperous world going forward. But on the food security point, I think you're so right to raise it because that was a key concern among some of the African delegations I spoke to. I bumped into two South African businessmen who'd been to the business summit. They said talk about fertilizers, talk about energy security and talk about food security being really important. Putin raised billions of tons of uh, food exports or uh, donations to Africa in his speeches. The two African countries on the table now from 2021 your thoughts?
1: I mean, Egypt. Egypt is seen as being part of the Middle East, but it actually is seen more aligned to the African continent. Ethiopia, that was quite an interesting addition as well, in the BRICS block. And I guess South Africa was pushing more for the inclusion of African countries into the BRICS uh, block. I understand that President Sorom Apostle was pushing hard for for more African representation. But my concern is that, you know, the the inclusion of those oil nations, it kind of might overshadow South Africa's place in the BRICS formation, because I think where South Africa has really benefited from being part of BRICS is that South Africa has the ear of China through President Xi Jinping, Now that these global oil forces have been included, I just wonder, will that take away some of the attention away from South Africa, especially from the likes of China, because South Africa has enjoyed the air of China over the past 10 plus years of BRICS?
2: I mean, I guess to go from one African nation to three in BRICS is a win. In terms of the summit of 2023 for BRICS, the theme was African relations with the bloc as it stands. So many delegations from around the continent. I mean, even the vice president of Zimbabwe was here as that country, our neighbor, was going into elections. Did we get enough out of it, do you think, in terms of building relations between African states, and some of these other players, the big people in the room from the likes of Russia, China, Brazil, India.
1: I thought it was quite a missed opportunity to not only foster relations among the BRICS countries, but how about boosting uh, intercontinental trade, so allowing countries in the rest of Africa to foster trade relations? Because Look, outside of the BRICS bloc, many of those countries in BRICS actually have trade agreements with countries in the rest of Africa. So, you know, the, the BRICS summit could have been used as an opportunity for some of the BRICS countries to really strengthen their trading relations with countries in the rest of Africa. There was a lot of conversation about making the African Continental Free Trade Agreement sort of coexist with some of the trading agreements that sit within the BRICS bloc, but none of that came Came out. In fact, prominent businessman Patrice Mazupa was really lobbying hard for the BRICS countries to foster more trade with the rest of Africa. So it seems like the rest of the continent was sort of left out in some of the discussions and nothing concrete emerged.
2: The other thing is what happens to the acronym.
1: Yeah, we don't have a name yet, right?
2: No, it's going to be uh, LMNOP.
1: I heard BRICS Plus would be the preferred name to call the block. Oh my uh, gosh. Plus, to take into account of the addition of those uh, six members.
2: It sounds like a health Before. supplement. And I guess they <laughs> want it to be a health supplement for the global world order as we move into multipolarity and all that jazz.
0: Raging wildfires in Canada, Hawaii, and Greece. Hurricane Hillary wreaking havoc across Mexico and several parts of the United States, and drowning baby penguins. It looks like 2023 is the year for breaking records, and we don't
2: mean that in a good way. Ray, we're going to shift gear now to the world cooking, really. I mean, environmental issues, heat waves, poor penguin chicks falling into the ocean because of ice melting. It all sounds pretty grim.
1: It does. And, you know, to climate change denialists, I mean, these extreme weather events are a cause of concern. I mean, we're getting more and more evidence about climate change, I guess, manifesting itself.
2: So the weather has a palpable impact on our day to day life. Vulnerable nations, vulnerable communities are particularly at risk. Heat related deaths in the last couple of years have been, you know, on the up. Apparently, according to research, I pulled from Carbon Brief. They've been doing a study on global temperatures. 2022 alone was the fifth or sixth warmest year recorded on Earth's surface. Approximately 380 million people saw their hottest single hourly temperature ever recorded. They've got a map actually tracking heat temperatures since 1950, and it's such a visually compelling representation of what's happening to the world's temperature. And then the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change did an assessment in their sixth one. They Confirmed, it is virtually certain that, quote, there has been an increase in the intensity and duration of heat waves and in the number of heat wave days at the global scale from 1950. So I guess the thing is there disaster preparedness, yeah. you know, just thinking about Africa and development and infrastructure and public services, what kinds of impacts have already been incurred by vulnerable populations when it comes to heat waves?
1: Yeah, I mean a big event that happened a few a few days ago, if memory serves, the official arrival of El Nino was announced. Now El Nino is a climate a a pattern that shows up every two to seven years and raises global temperatures. And as a consequence, there is a good chance that this will be the hottest year on record and that 2024 will be even hotter still. So the last El Nino cycle, by the way, happened back in 2014 and lasted up until 2016. And this was quite ruinous for a lot of countries. In South Africa, I remember there were droughts Uh, that Mm. led to food production levels falling to a 20-year low. And we know that when food production levels fall, what happens? Food price increases follow. Mm. So it it will create a food security concern. And also, I, I don't think our government is adequately prepared for what's to come based on the response we've seen back in 2014 to 2016 when El Nino hit. So I don't think that's top of the mind for South Africa's government.
2: Yeah, it's certainly something we're going to have to plan around more carefully and regionally, too, if you think about Mozambique last year and, uh, you know, the need for humanitarian aid. And it's it's the thing of being... Forewarned and forearmed as opposed yeah. to responding to a crisis. Of course, that's vital and necessary, but if we only reactive around humanitarian issues prompted by climate change, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And I have to say, obviously, human beings and our dear planet top of mind, but the poor penguin chicks uh, saw that CNN report about uh, water temperature changes down in the southern hemisphere, far down south, and a British Antarctic survey. One of the researchers said that uh, the chicks of penguins may drift away. On flows with this ice breaking apart and adults just lose them and then they starve to death. I mean, if that isn't a kind of children's story of the horrors of climate change, I honestly don't know what is.
1: It's scary. Are we going to have any animals left? In
0: 2013, Sunday Times journalist Sabel Skiti told the story of a personal injury litigation lawyer allegedly taking advantage of families of disabled children. Zuko Nontruba used these rural Eastern Cape families' desperation to rake in millions, leaving his victims to survive on paltry social grants. Earlier this year, Carte Blanche revisited this story and found that very little had changed. In fact, Nontruba was still practicing law, but the Concord has now put an end to that. Erin has more.
2: We got a really, really critical development. So trial attorney Zuko Nongruba barred from practice by the constitutional court. There'd been previous litigation at a high court level as well. Carte Blanche looked into this in detail. I mean, he was really just fleecing the families of children living with disabilities and uh, creaming of funds paid out by courts to help those families and children prevail. What do you think about what this win signifies?
1: Look, we we judge a society by how it treats its most vulnerable citizen children and the elderly. You, you know, this is good for justice because, you know, I think the the legal fraternity hasn't really covered itself in glory. We've seen similar cases of abuses. So to get the attorney, uh, Zuko Nungoba, barred from being a lawyer, it's, it's actually a, a good thing because we don't see many instances like this of justice, especially when malpractice is involved in the legal fraternity.
2: I mean, it's important also that it stems from the constitutional court. Court this decision that's now going to, or has prompted Nonkulba being disbarred. But I guess the point is what happens in terms of due process and law enforcement. We hear from the MEC in the Eastern Cape that on average 35 million rand is the upfront lump sum for future medical care in these cases. I mean the matter dates back 11 years. It's an ongoing saga. I guess we've got to look to the Hawks now and. Be grateful that rigorous yeah. journalism and care has led to this, but more needs to follow. Indeed.
1: And the concern for me is how many of these similar incidences are happening that don't grab media headlines or media attention? And I hope our law enforcement agencies and authorities are really tracking if something similar is happening beyond the Zuko incident in case.
2: Yes, and I guess in terms of the principle of restorative justice, you know, we've seen the legal process now. We've had word from uh, the MEC in the Provincial Health Department. We know that the Hawks investigation is ongoing. The, the crux issue now will be getting money to the families and those children living with disabilities. Taryn Crossman and the team, of course, at the Carp stellar work on that one. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a new member of the team. It really is one of those stories that has, and God willing, will continue to lead to positive change.
0: On Tuesday, 22nd of August, the country came to a grinding halt, so to speak, when we announced the passing of adored journalist and carte blanche icon, Derek Watts. We've been taken aback by the sheer volume of kindness and love coming from all corners of South Africa, a testament to Derek's ability to unite a nation.
2: We're getting to... Probably the most uh, important point of this weekly wrap, a very hard week at Carte Blanche. And I think for a lot of people who have come to know and love uh, Derek Watts as a public figure, an esteemed broadcaster, and really just like a grutman, a leke mens, a mensch, you know, a tall and towering man in stature and also in uh, his profile and uh, impact on on people over over decades of, of working at Carte Blanche there from the very start. He lost his fight against cancer at the ripe old age of 74. We were hoping for many more years with him in studio and in the field. Yeah,
1: I, this one really shook me. Some of the words that have been used to describe him was an icon, but I think a gentle giant would be more appropriate. I only met him once, uh, unfortunately. I was not privileged to meet him over many instances. But what I remember from my very brief encounter with Derek is that, first of all, he was tall, he shook my hand quite firm, and he looked at me directly in the eyes, which made me very uncomfortable. But what I remember from that brief encounter was how invested he was in getting to know me, know my life story, uh, asking me probing questions about who I am, what are my aspirations. I mean, I was a stranger. He didn't have to uh, be as nice and kind, but I agree with how a lot of people described him, a gentle giant, really kind, led with empathy, a brilliant journalist someone who is very inspirational. This hit me quite hard and I don't imagine what uh, the carte blanche family is going through.
2: It has been a bruiser of a week and your anecdote is lovely because I think it speaks to a man who, as much as he was such a prominent public figure and credit to him because that came from his work and his years in the job and in the field and in the public domain, but he didn't do it at the cost of his warmth and his ability to connect with people, looking them right in the eye. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, also uh, again, uh, he had no ego. For someone of his stature, of his mm. you know journalism excellence stature, uh, this is someone who did not have an ego. He was invested in getting to know people, meeting people at a human and empathetic level.
2: We could do with a a lot more people like that. No airs, no graces. And as you say, as tall as he was, he'd meet you on your level. Ray, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for guiding me through my first rodeo in uh, the weekly wrap. For those listening, thank you for joining us. We look forward to having you with us again soon.
0: Do you have a story to share with us? Head on over to the Carte Blanche website and click on the Tip Us Off tab who knows it could be on a future episode of carte blanche the podcast available on spotify and all major
2: platforms